know Aristotle was pretty important in the history of weather. But did weather actually allow him to be born? Welcome to What Is It About the Weather podcast, where we explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelinek. And this week, well, clearly we're going to be talking a little history. Haven't done that in a while. Haven't done a Did Weather Change History episode, so I thought I'd jump back into it. I even alluded to it a little while back, talking about the, uh, you know, when I was doing the different kind of evolution of history thing, the short brief history of weather, if you will, some important milestones, and we talked about Aristotle, and I mentioned in there about a famous battle that I had found that, yeah, thought I'd get into. But before that, as always, hope you're having some good weather. My heat wave's not been as bad this week. Actually, it was pretty tolerable in the grand scheme of summer. A lot of people still aren't. A lot of people cross the globe, although a lot of areas have eased. Others have picked up, and it's worse. So in any case, if you're in a place where it's really hot, I hope you're getting by, and I hope you've taken the steps to minimize your exposure. And as always, as I've mentioned again and again, it's it's not just the the single day or the single event, it's it's watching yourself over a period of time when you got a heat wave in place just to make sure that some of the impacts don't build up over time. So hope you're staying safe out there. And I'm also hope, as always, of course, that you're having some good weather. I had every now and then you're you're like sitting in the right place, right time kind of moment. And had some rain this week where, you know, I, I enjoyed the clouds and watching the storms come in. But there was a sunset one evening where I, I was sitting on the sofa, was actually watching a little TV, was doing some work at the same time, kind of multitasking sort of thing. And just in that moment, and maybe I'll use the picture as, as cover art, because yeah, again, it wasn't so much the clouds or the specific image, so I'm not sure how good the picture really is, but you look out and you see just the right balance of colors, right? It, it is, you probably know, you know, there's so much in the layering of what level the clouds are at versus what time it is and and even where you are I have this interesting kind of sunset setup where I am that for instance where I am compared to just over the Hudson River New York City we get a very different skyline at sunset the angle is very different because I have this little slight hill not too far from me and there's also between me and kind of open space there's a Elevated kind of roadway and some buildings that surround that combined, you know, angles, different times of year and all that stuff. New York City can have just this drastically different thing. And I had some friends not too long ago who sent me the sunset picture from New York City that was stunning. And we just didn't get it. And the cloud structure is even different. By the time you get close to the ocean where I am, the clouds often change. Making all this a long story, aren't I? The, the long and the short of it is, very simply, that had this just great, great sunset. And it was just the fact that I had the the blinds open, actually curtains, not blinds, and happened to be looking out. And you you know, just caught me. And it's one of those times when I really just enjoy going, wow, that's just that's just right. That's the the color spectrum's great. It's very vibrant, all those sort of things. So I had a really great sunset. And it was brought to me by changing weather patterns right and so had these kind of pulses of storms coming and going and it was it worked out really well any case I hope your weather rose to that level this week 
So I'm not sure this is weather. Well, it is kind of weather related because when I think of electricity, I also think of lightning. But I saw a funny quote from somebody this week. And, you know, people often, you know, I get into these conversations with people about the difference between what is science versus what is, you know, just thought or political add-ins or just, you know, other things that aren't science. And, And I heard there was somebody that was presenting on it and they were like, Science does not tell you, and this is not the exact quote, but it's a long, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Science does not tell you that peeing on a high voltage power line is dangerous. But what it does tell you is urine is highly conductive, right? So just do with that as you will and know that there is this delicate balance between what scientists get to. And their point was as much about how we even talk about scientific articles and yes you want people to be exposed to it and you want them to you want people to draw more not necessarily draw more from it but understand how it really relates but it's also important to step back and recognize what part when you see a story is because you'll hear about it you know new research says whatever well the research probably by the time it makes it to a, a written article the research may or may not have said that directly so that's why i always like to give you sources when they're relevant they're not always to the things we talk about. And today's not going to be any different. So let's talk about it a little bit. So I, you know, a while back I was talking about Aristotle and I mentioned that there was some other things that went on around this time that were relevant and came across an article that was very much captured weather in this context. So we're going to talk about that today. And the idea is pretty simple. Maybe or maybe you haven't ever heard the story of the Spartans. There was a movie done, I think it was 2006-ish, around that time, with Gerard Butler, who played King Leonidas. And it was it, it's this famous story about how a very few Spartans, in, in other groups, there was a, a small army of Grecian men who were out on the battlefield in this specific point, and because of the way the structure of the area was set up, they were able to hold off. And yes, it's been exaggerated over time. Millions of Persians. That's not really how it went down. It was, but it was. It was a significantly greater force. There's some question as to how big it was, and estimates have still been in the tens to the couple hundreds of thousands of people. But no matter how you account for it, the entire Greek force that was there at the time was definitely less than 10,000. And so the odds were against them. And in the end, they still lost. But what they did is they held for a period of time that allowed some people to get away and, you know, for everything not to be lost at that point. Now, again, they died in the end. I think it was Xerxes who was the king of the Persian Empire at that point got his way. And, and I, I guess, let me put in context, modern day Turkey is what was part of the Persian empire. And we're talking 2,500 years ago. And if you've ever looked at it, maybe you haven't at a map, Greece is just the other side of, of a waterway there, right? I mean, it's not a huge difference. Now, back in that day, it was still a big distance, if you will. And it's important to remember that things were still very much under mostly oared movement, right? So a lot of people rowing boats. Yes, they did use sails, but it wasn't as by any means as sophisticated as it is today, right? They just didn't have that. And actually the wood boats even back then at that point in time were often still, at least from a military standpoint, were these big hulk thick ships because they were used to ram each other. 
right? But basically what happened, that that battle, I think, that, that I mentioned, it happened in Thermopylae, and, and that was happened in, I think it was 480 BC, if I'm remembering my year correctly. Now, also important to remember back then, there, there was this long-standing conflict, but things often took years and decades to unfold because you'd lose a battle, and it wasn't like you'd lose a battle and you'd regroup, and the next day you'd necessarily fight again. It may take a couple of years or a decade before you know, you're know you maybe dealing with some other issues and your forces are divided, and you get back to that item that you wanted to deal with. But in this case, there was a... So at that point, again, it, basically it looked like, you know, Greece was doomed, that Xerxes was going to achieve exactly what he wanted, which was to decimate Greece and have it be his, and parts of it had been under the Persian Empire, and actually it was a revolt in one of those areas that had led to this whole thing transpiring. But what would happen next is a naval battle, right? And it the battle specifically we're talking about is the Battle of Salamis, and it took place in this same year, which is 480 BC. And this article was written on the heels of the like 2,500 year, you know, recollection of that. So in 2020 is when this thing was written. And it was written by somebody who is Interestingly enough, not a historian, uh, you know, the, or at least I should take that back. It was multiple authors. The main author was on the atmospheric science side. And there is a link in the show notes. So I know I often send you guys links, and sometimes you may or may not easily have access to those articles, depending on if you use your library or whatever. But in this case, this article is freely available to everyone. And I often tell you, look at the abstract or, and or look at the conclusions, and those are well done. But one of the things you might want to do is just, even if you're not going to read the whole article, kind of skim through the images. And the reason I say that is, is basically the idea of the article was as follows. is This is a famous battle, and as you can imagine, anything that happened 2,500 years ago, the documentation sometimes is better than other times, okay? And... In this case, there are records of the battle, but they may not have been as well documented as some other things that transpired during that time. Now, there could be a lot of reasons for that. They were dealing in war, and so not everything got written down. Keep in mind, it wasn't that easy to write everything down back then. But what this paper did was explored the idea of how important weather was. Because anytime you hear an old war story told, it's quite often romanticized versus being brutally honest of what it was like. And quite often, people want to attribute genius to the situation when sometimes genius is about using your surroundings, kind of like that previous battle where they brought the warfare into a narrow, and a pincer was a very common phrase used back then, and they actually used pincers in their military action. You know, you try to create these pinch points, if you will, of making it difficult. You you want to bring your enemies to some point where you get the advantage because they're kind of stuck. And the point of the article was to explore exactly that. And what it looked at was, you you didn't can't go back and say, well, what was the climatology or what was the weather record back in, you know, 480 BC in the 2nd of September, whatever the day was, at 10 a.m. I don't think anybody was transcribing that, and I know they weren't measuring it properly. You know, I can, I can just read the weather report now. Sunny 
with the winds. You know, it's kind of like some of the weather reports we get now, right? Any case, so they're going in and, and they're looking at, at this information. And essentially what they've done is they've, they've taken information about modern day and the climate in Greece is not dissimilar to what it was even 2,500 years ago. And a lot of that is owed to the fact that it's near water and the sea levels are relatively similar. And while there certainly would have been differences between then and now, there's a lot of things that set up that are, that are going to be the same. Okay. And I think, like I said, I think the genius can be in knowing that you had a weather type advantage that type of year. Now, there's there's really two things that went into play here. One is what would set up in what is considered their summer season, and they have what is referred to as a monsoonal flow, but it's it's something that kind of happens every year. And you hear about monsoons. The most famous well-known monsoon that people often talk about is the one that we talked about a little earlier this year, which is the one that happens to impact India or more broadly the southern portion of Asia that's south of the Himalayas right and it's the monsoon season that drives the end of the dry heat wave and brings in rain but it's also the same thing for instance why they can't climb Mount Everest during the summer because the weather patterns change and they're driven by this now it's a different setup it's a slightly different monsoon but it's again a similar type of large pattern so on a large atmospheric scale right on in a let's call it a continental scale, maybe not quite that big. There's this flow that happens in Greece around the summertime that, of course, there's always going to be shifts in. I mean, that's that's the key thing to recognize. It's not going to be exactly the same from year to year because it might set up a little differently. And anybody that's listened to this podcast long enough knows that while I'm not, you know, I don't consider myself a climatologist, I've mentioned that in the last couple of weeks, these large-scale patterns, I do understand enough, and we do talk about them enough, whether it's El Nino and La Nina kind of stuff or those sort of things, that there's some things that are important about it. One is they are these large-scale, naturally occurring things, but they vary from year to year. They don't exactly set up every year, and even though there's all these interrelations between the, the different patterns, you kind of know, or you can get a sense of what pattern you're in, often by just understanding and paying attention to what's going around you. Was it a rainy summer versus a dry summer? Did the winds come out of direction X versus direction Y? And you kind of know those general patterns are going to exist. All right, So that's this underlaying, let's call that that fundamental basic layer. But anybody that's ever spent any time near the ocean, particularly in the summertime, knows that you have this situation where at night, the earth cools off, right? Yet the ocean might be warmer where it is. And then in the daytime, though, the land gets hotter than that same body of water that holds while it's warm. It's now no longer as hot as the land. So you have these fluctuations from land breeze to sea breeze. And that's exactly what would have been going on. So with those pieces of information, particularly the land sea land sea breeze kind of set up, but understanding what the winds are going to be like in the transition times, in particular, between when we go from a land breeze to the normal calm, if you didn't have one of these other setups, to the sea breeze mode, what happens in all those different phases of the day is going to be very important from a spectrum of what is the battlefield, if you will, 
the arena in a naval battle going to be like and how different is it going to be? And the paper goes through and shows you, and one of the reasons I like is if you've never looked at rose graphs, that we call them these little rose profiles, kind of like a 360-degree thing that has different, the reason it's called rose is you get these kind of different petals, if you will, that kind of demonstrate how strong and what direction the winds are coming from. So the paper really does an excellent job of laying out what are these underlying winds, right, that that happened would happen in the summertime normally under a circumstance that would look like X, right, that, that situation. And adding on top of that, the diurnal fluctuations that are going to happen, right, with that change in going from before the sun comes up to when the sun's coming up to when the sun's at, you know, higher level in the, in the sky and what you're going to end up with in terms of how the winds are going to change. And, and again, keep in mind that winds, because these ships, and even if they were under sail, just because they don't use sails doesn't mean they're not heavily impacted. You would have to try to row against that wind, right? You want to get the wind behind what sail you do have to help push, but if it's working against you, even if you take the sail down, it's going to push that boat, right? And so the whole idea of the paper lays out what likely happened during the different hours of the day and how, in the end, what really happened and what's kind of amazing about this. This became a turning point the other way. So up until this point, it was pretty much assumed that Xerxes was going to achieve what he wanted to achieve and take over Greece and go further into Europe, right? But in reality, what happened is the Persian fleet was decimated, okay? And it wasn't the final battle in this, but it would be the turning point between when Greece was able to reestablish a foothold and then go forward in a, and actually in a subsequent naval battle and destroy the ships even further and reestablish Greece. Okay? And, and that's pretty amazing when you think about all the things that have happened. And you know, we think so much about ancient Greece philosophers and all those things, but a lot of that may not have transpired had this other stuff happened. And so Aristotle was born not about 100 years later, but if, if this war had gone a different way, it is very feasible that Aristotle would have never been born, right? And while we talked about all the consequences of Aristotle and the things he got wrong, there was a lot that he understood, and it still served as a springboard for the idea of critical thought and how we think about weather and all those things. So the reality really is that the weather that transpired in the, in the at least the warriors that were smart enough to recognize how the weather could work to their advantage in that case and it's always the disadvantage, right, of the attacker is unless they've got somebody that's working for them, they're just not going to know. They, they probably understood the whole land breeze, sea breeze idea. But not knowing that underlying piece of what the weather normal, you know, winds were underlying during that year was huge. And it probably was what led to the difference. And, it, you know, again, the article will get into, and that's why I recommend really reading it, you know, how they changed the direction of their ships and how they would have stalemated, you know, the Persians attacking them until the winds changed and, and, and so on and so on. But it's a reminder of that I felt like I was reading like some chapter in The Art of War, if you will. You know, it's like yeah, that attack the enemy who does not know the weather or something like that. I'm, I'm sure I could come up with some much better saying if I thought about it over a period of time. But the long and the short of it is that that weather 
can be, you know, a lot of times we always think about the luck of, you know, the weather turned out just right or, or the unfortunate when the weather causes a sudden event. And we've talked about examples of both of those, right, in, in these different history episodes. But this is one where I think they actively thought about the weather and leveraged it to their advantage to turn the tide, if you will, in the case of this war. Anyways, you know, there was a, there's a, that 300 movie that I was talking about, it, the movie's kind of gory and it's kind of overplayed. They, they did a sequel and I didn't realize the The sequel shows a, a person that looks like a warrior that doesn't look like ships at all, but apparently it is about this naval battle. So maybe I'll watch it at some point and report back to you on it. Any case though, it's just a reminder, right? When you're pondering the art of war, if you will, to remember there's much more to weather than the weather itself. <laughs>